thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, y'all. I say y'all, I guess I am a Southern boy still at heart. Guys, get your Bibles out, turn to Matthew 9 as you're turning there. Uh, my name's Scott Brud. For those of you who don't know, I get to serve as the pastor here, and it's a privilege and an honor to be in this role. Again, Matthew 9 is where I want you. As we've been in this series called Mission for the last five weeks, where we've walked through every key word in our mission, multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And, and today... Or actually, let me say this. Last week, we uh, focused our attention on the person and uh, work of Jesus Christ, his character and who he is and, and why we follow him because of who he is. And, and as, a, as, a, as an effort to help us know Jesus more and know his heart more, we uh, supplied a book last week called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And it was free to every family unit. We ran out last week. So I apologize. Um, I don't I think everybody was honest. I don't question that. Uh, we just, I just underestimated. And so uh, we have more copies available to you. If you did not get a copy last week, if your family unit did not get a copy, see our main man, Usher Nelson. He'll get you some after the service on your way out. I've already heard some people started reading it and are halfway through it, and they're like, I love it. Man, Jesus is so beautiful. So praise the Lord for that. That's the work we were hoping that he would accomplish in that. Today, we're transitioning uh, kind of gears in our sermon series on our mission, right? We, we've talked about our mission statement, and today we're going to start talking about our core values, right? Our core values. Now, for, uh, me personally, I, uh, w- I graduated from Liberty University, and I graduated with an intercultural studies degree major, which is missions, but I also double minored. I double minored in biblical studies, and I had another minor in business, um, and, and in the business classes and studying for business, one thing that we learned was that for a business to create like an understood culture around itself, around its employees, around its customers, it really helps for that business to have a mission statement. Not only that, but it also helps to declare their core values. For a business to state and make public the things that they value. And one of the things that we learned in this business pursuit or study was that, that values are what we are, right? Values are all, like, all what we're about. They guide and they direct in support of our mission. They define how people in the organization are expected to behave with others and with each other, right? And so, so values work to guide our decision-making steps, like, and they set a standard of assessing our actions, so that's why we hold to some core values here because we believe that they are essential to accomplishing our mission. Now, before we go any further, we're gonna run a quick pop quiz. Can anybody state all five core values by themselves with no assistance, no looking in the bulletin? Just go ahead and try. If you get it, uh, we have a prize for you. If you can do it by yourself, it's a, it's a free book called Gentle and Lowly. You can pick it up on your way out if you get it correct. Who can do it? They're hard, okay? So let's, let's do this together. Christ-centered families, intimate communities of discipleship, radical hospitality, vibrant prayer, and cross-cultural mission. All right, you just needed some help, that's all. So all, all three, all five of these, right? 
they're kind of like their own little mini missions, aren't they? <laughs> kind of like their own mini goals. They're, they're behaviors that inform the efforts in ministry that we put into it, right? And so for the next five weeks, we're gonna be walking through all five of these, taking the time to biblically define them and to help us like, develop them in our own lives. Now, I'm, I'm gonna do something that's probably gonna mess several of y'all up. I'm not gonna go in that order. Uh, we're actually gonna start somewhere else. We're gonna start with the one that is most personal to us and then move out from there in concentric circles, which means we are starting with which one? Vibrant prayer. There's no better place to start than that. Vibrant prayer. Vibrant means full of enthusiasm and energy, right? How many of you would say that your prayer life is accurately defined by that keyword, vibrant? Raise your hands if you think. No. I, it's kind of a tall order, isn't it? I mean, some days, some days you might be on your knees begging the Lord in actuality and, you're, and, you're, and everything about you engaged. Sometimes you're just driving and you're asking for a parking spot. And that ain't going to be very vibrant, is it? Maybe, maybe you actually feel like your prayer life is about as dull as dishwater. We kind of set a high standard with vibrant, didn't we? Why vibrant? Why prayer? Why put that in there too? Couldn't we just said vibrant, that we would value vibrancy? Why is prayer so valuable to our mission and our culture here? And how does it work to accomplish it? So these are some of the questions that we're gonna be working through today and answering from Matthew chapter nine. And we're gonna be starting reading in verse 35, but our main verse is 38, okay? So let me set the scene real quick. Jesus is doing his thing. He is in his ministry and it's picking up and people are being healed. He's casting out demons. He's calling disciples to himself. And we get to verse 35. It kind of summarizes that. Starting in verse 35. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, key words here, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. So we've got four parts to our message this morning, four parts to our study. So if you like to take notes and outline them, and you're kind of like me, go ahead. We're gonna write these down. The state of the harvest, the need of the harvest, the need of the harvest, our response to the harvest, and fourthly, God's response. And we'll get there eventually. Let's first talk through the state of the harvest. Can we say this together? One, two, three. The state of the harvest. So Jesus, he's got tons of people coming to him and he's healing. He's feeling compassion towards them, right? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd and he's the good shepherd and he feels that and he looks to his disciples. All these people are coming to him. All these people have great needs. And what does he do? He turns to his disciples and he says, 
The harvest is what? Plentiful or abundant. It is abundant. So let's, let's think biblically real quick about the harvest. The harvest is a kind of a word used of the gathering in of the citizens of the kingdom of God, those who belong to and are found in Christ alone. And it's portrayed in scripture as this eschatological event that happens at the end of the age when Jesus comes and he gathers in his bride, he gathers in the church, he harvests them from among the world. But here we see Jesus is already saying that the harvest is abundant. We see that the harvest isn't just simply something that's waiting to happen, the harvest has already started. When Jesus showed up, the kingdom of heaven started reaping in the harvest. So people are right now ready to be gathered in. And guys, it it ain't no skimpy harvest, is it? It's not some messed up low harvest. No, it is described as abundant. And I don't know if we can picture that as full as we ought, but, but let me tell you a little bit about how else this word is used in the Bible. The word abundant is the same descriptive word that's used of our reward awaiting us in heaven. It's an abundant reward. It's a great reward. It's also used in Revelation 7, and it's describing the multitude that's around the throne of God from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, and they're gathered in, and there's so many that no one could number them. And they're standing before the throne and they're worshiping the lamb. They're an abundant multitude. So this is how vast, this is how great, this is how abundant and numerous this harvest is for those being brought into the kingdom of God. So the crop is gonna be plentiful. Many people are gonna be ready to be reaped into the kingdom. The harvest is abundant. Now, isn't that kind of like every farmer's dream? Right? Like, picture this, right? So, so you're, you're, you're sitting on the back porch and you're looking out on the fields that you've purchased with your own sweat money, right? And, you, and you've labored in them and you've sowed and you've worked and you've tended. And at the end, when the harvest is about ready to come and you're looking out and you see fields teeming with crop, that's the dream. You know, my, my wife and I, we've, we've tried to leverage our property to grow a few things. We've tried gardening ourselves and and our harvest was, has been anything but that. It's been anything but abundant. We planted lots of potatoes and, and carrots and tomatoes, and, and somehow we got a bucket of potatoes, we got seven carrots, and we got one tomato. And somehow we got a squash in there. Honestly, don't know how. But I would say that that's anything but abundant. So I, I recognize that some of you have uh, taken on gardening in your own property. Thank you for sharing your harvest with us. My family would have starved if we were depending upon our ability to grow anything. But, but with this, we have this abundant harvest. Remember how in John 4, when Jesus had just sent the Samaritan woman back into Samaria as a missionary and she's calling people to Jesus. Hey, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And, and the crowds are coming out and Jesus is seeing them coming in and he looks at his disciples and he said, open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. They are ready 
because this is the condition of the world around us. It is ready for an abundant harvest. But wouldn't we say that's kind of hard to believe, especially right now? Like you and I, we can look at what Jesus is saying. We can agree with him. Yeah, sure, you're saying that. But then we move out and we look into the world and, and we can be like, I don't know, there's no way that this is ready for harvest. This world is so messed up. We doubt that maybe Jesus had an accurate understanding. I mean, doesn't it, like if we were to look out at the scope of the world today, wouldn't it look like or seem that the number of those who are actually following Jesus just keeps declining instead of growing? I mean, did, did Jesus all of a sudden become irrelevant or, or unnecessary? Does, does, does the world all of a sudden no longer need redemption? Or did Jesus just get it wrong? Of course not. No, not at all. Which means no matter what you and I see going on in the world right now, now more than ever, the harvest is abundant. Now more than ever, men and women are ready to respond to the gospel, which means multiplying faithful followers of Jesus is just as possible here and now in 2021 as it was when Jesus said the words here. Guys, this is the Lord of the harvest looking out and assessing the condition of his field and declaring in truth that they're teeming with an abundant harvest. So maybe that's what you need to receive today in truth. Maybe it's that. Maybe we could just be done with that. Because what this means is that, that your son or your daughter, your brother or your sister, your spouse, your longtime friend, your coworker, your neighbor, whoever it is that seems incredibly far from God and unlikely to ever repent is not too far gone. They're just not. They're not outside of God's grace, of the reach of his grace. Isaiah 59 says that God's arms are not too short to reach out and to save. Because God can rescue whoever. God can bring them in. So don't give up hope for whoever it is that your heart keeps breaking over. Don't give up hope. The harvest really is abundant. And it's plentiful. And that's going to take us to uh, our second part for the morning. It's the need of the harvest. Can we say this together? One, two, three. The need of the harvest. So Jesus is looking at the harvest. It's abundant. But there's a need, which means there's a problem. And it's not a problem with the state of the world around us. It's a problem with his church. It's a problem with those who follow. He says, the workers are few, which means the need is what? Workers. We have this abundant harvest and no workers or few workers, as he says. So imagine that. Don't you think that would be every farmer's worst nightmare? anyone who's responsible for a crop and they've got fields that are teeming with an abundant harvest and they're out desperately searching for workers to go out and help them gather it in and they can't find anyone. 
There's not enough. As one of the things I love about this area is that you can decide to take two routes home. You can go the business route or you can go the back roads route. And I love going the back roads and I love getting to see the fields. I love getting to see the crop. I, love my, I drive my son by. He's like, corn. And we get to the next field, corn. And then we get to the next field, corn. He, he just loves seeing the corn. But we, I love seeing it because it, remind, it looks like the harvest is gonna be good this year. But imagine when that harvest comes and, and there, there are farmers who own those fields and, and they need to gather them in and there's too few workers to bring it in. That crop is gonna be lost because there's no workers working in the field to bring them in. The farmers are heading for a year of an abundance of crop, but they can't find workers. There are too few of them. It's kind of what Jesus is saying about this harvest, about our mission. The problem of the harvest, the problem of our mission is not that the world isn't ready for us. The problem is there's too few of us working. The problem is there's not enough people partnering with Jesus in the harvest, in the mission. So let me give you a few numbers. Currently, uh, there are estimated to be about 7.67 billion people in the world today. 7.6 7.6 or 7.67 billion. 3.19 billion of those have never heard the name of Jesus. Which means if you were to go up to them and say, hey, have you, have you met the man Jesus? They say, no, I've never heard of him. Go check the next village. He might be over there. They have no context for who Jesus is. Guys, right now there are about 7,372 unreached people groups in the world today. Unreached people groups are those ethnic groups of people who have not been reached with the gospel. And many of them are unengaged, meaning no one's actually going after them. And when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, nations never meant political, it meant ethnic. It meant the people groups. So we have 7,372 unreached people groups. And get this, there are 350,000 evangelical churches in the United States alone. That's about 50 churches per unreached people group. And we still, out of all those 50 churches, can't find one to go. We can't. As the need is still as urgent today as it was 2,000 years ago, with billions of people living and dying without any hope of the gospel, and not enough people going to seek them out to give them the hope that we have. Despite what the world may say or our own doubts, this condition is much worse than cancer, and even COVID-19. So what do we do? We've got this abundant harvest across the world ready to be gathered in and too few workers. And what is our response? 
What is our response? What, what does Jesus say we do? He says he needs workers, so we just put some job descriptions and post them up on Indeed or Monster.com. Maybe we can hire some workers to go out that way. No. No, he says our response is what? Pray. It's to pray. Matthew 9, 38. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Why? Because the harvest is so great and so abundant and because the workers of the harvest are so few, you and I ought to respond with desperate, urgent, vibrant prayer. And so this is where we're actually gonna kind of take a sidestep into prayer itself and we're gonna walk that back into our text this morning. So, so let me just uh, say that there are probably some things about prayer that need to be torn down in our understanding of them and there are things that need to be built back up in their place that are more appropriate. So some of us uh, probably use prayer more like a grocery run. We got our list and, and we, when we enter the store room of heaven and we just ask for some things, maybe some things that we want, some things that we need and we know that we've got the right currency that we can, we can make a payment and we get what we need. So if we say the right key words or we say in Jesus' name, we can get what we want or what we need. Guys, we need to see prayer vastly different than that. We need to see prayer more like a dialogue with our good father in heaven who just so happens to be the sovereign I am over all of creation and its future. Well, that's great. So we get to talk with a dad in heaven who has control over all things. Not only that, but we ought to be seeing prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie where we can call down firepower divinely from heaven to demolish strongholds of any kind. So let's, let's do this. Let's get a working definition of vibrant prayer that we're gonna use for, for years to come when we talk about this value in vibrant prayer. So it's gonna be good, you better write it down. The reason why it's gonna be good is because it doesn't come from me, it comes from a much smarter guy named Timothy Keller. Uh, he's uh, a, a, a modern day theologian and author and, and he wrote a book that he uniquely and creatively titled, wait for it, Prayer. And it's a book that I read through and I strongly commend it to you as well. I, I, I added my own word in there, but there's a definition that he gives that I think is very robust and helpful. And it's this. Prayer is a personal, emotive, communicative response to the knowledge of God. Can we read that together? One, two, three. Prayer is a personal, emotive, communicative response to the knowledge of God. So let me just plow through this real quick. When we talk about personal, we're not talking to some immaterial force, some vague eye in the sky. No, we're talking to a person as a person. We're talking to the persons of the Godhead as a person. So it's personal. It's emotive, meaning our prayer isn't just meant to engage our mind. It's meant to engage all of us. Our feelings and our emotions are to be involved in this. It's communicative, meaning we have to use language Body language or spoken language. Guys, your prayer life doesn't come with an autopilot feature, right? You just can't press a button and it automatically flies itself while you're off doing your own thing. No, you must be communicating. You must be engaged through words. And also it's a responsive thing. How we pray, what we pray is always in response to 
what we know about God. In other words, you and I don't get to fashion together whatever priorities or values God holds and then pray those. No, we don't get to fashion our own God either. We have to respond to who God is and therefore we know how to approach him and what to ask of him. It always is responsive and we align ourselves in our prayer priorities in, his, in response to him and what we know about him. So it's personal, emotive, communicative, and responsive to what we know about God. And, and let's bring that back into Matthew 9, 38. Let's take this understanding. He says, we ought to pray in response to the need of the harvest. The word pray, some of your translations might say pray earnestly, right? Pray earnestly. The words connote begging. They're like, like you're on your knees and you're convinced of the urgent need and you're crying out in desperation. It's the same sense of earnestness and urgency that the father in Luke chapter nine had when, when he approached Jesus about his son who was demon possessed. And, and he said, teacher, I beg you, I plead with you, that's the word, to look at my son. He's my only child. That father's sense of desperation and, and, and hope in Christ and hopelessness and anything else in the world leads him to emotively, communicatively, personally respond to who he knew Jesus was. And he earnestly begs. We also see it in Luke chapter five, this same sense of desperation and longing by this man who's just been afflicted with leprosy and he goes up to Jesus and he falls face down before Jesus and he begs him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So we see right here, prayer is meant to be emotive. Our prayer to the Lord of the harvest ought to be from a sense of urgency and desperation because you and I know the treasure of heaven. We know the wrath that's coming. So it's emotive. But it also, Jesus tells us to pray to whom? What does he say? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. There's a person. It's personal. We're to pray to the Lord or master of the harvest, the chief harvester, so you will. So it's personal. It's a motive, it's personal. And what are we to pray? He tells us very specifically, we're to pray what? To send out workers into your harvest. And there we find communicative. We find communication. We find that we're given a specific request to make with our words. And finally, obviously, if we actually obey this command, it is in response to Jesus who told us to prioritize this. So there we find emotive, personal, communicative, and responsive. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest, God in the flesh, in response to what he's told us to do. Personal, emotive, communicative, responsive prayer. So this is, this is our, our response. We're, we're to pray to our Father, the Lord of the harvest. We're to pray with urgency and desperation. We're to pray that he would send out workers into his harvest as he's asked us to do. In other words, brothers and sisters, and I think this is probably the key point of the morning, and I would I would beg that we would receive this as true, that God would implant it deep into our souls. It's simply this. Vibrant prayer is the work of our mission. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Vibrant prayer is the work of our mission. Guys, without prayer, we will be unfruitful in accomplishing our mission 
to multiply faithful followers of Jesus. In, in, in one of the, the, the more popular and, and probably one of the stronger books on mission today, uh, written by John Piper, it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. This is, this is what he says about prayer. God's goal to be glorified will not succeed without the powerful proclamation of the gospel. And that gospel will not be proclaimed in power to all the nations without the prevailing, earnest, faith-filled prayers of God's people. <laughs> this is the awesome place of prayer in the purpose of God for the world. That purpose won't happen without prayer. Why God does that, I don't know. Maybe he's got a heart that invites people in to partner with him and cooperate with what he's doing. But this purpose, our mission, won't happen without prayer. So guys, this is the chief reason why vibrant prayer is so valuable here. Our mission won't be accomplished without it, and our mission will be accomplished in vibrant prayer. And you know what's crazy about this? Out of everything that I've said, he's so crazy about this. It actually works. Praying, like, works. <laughs> like, 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 God who's infinitely holy and way far above us, and we who are infinitely depraved and way far below, yet he inclines his ear to us and he invites us to partner with him. And when we do, when we pray, God's response is to send. When we pray, Lord, send out laborers, send out workers into your harvest field, he sends them. He does it. He really does it. He accomplishes his mission when his people pray. Guys, literally, you can pray, God, would you send out workers into this harvest field that you say is so abundant? And his response, get out there. Maybe not to you, maybe to somebody else. But his response is, I'm sending you. Go. You've got this. I've got this. We're taking care of it. So we pray and Jesus sends Guys, this has always been the pattern for missions, uh, which, which we can see happen throughout Jesus' ministry. We see it happen in the early church. Don't believe me? I don't know. Maybe look at verse one of the very next chapter. Verse 38 says, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into a harvest. Chapter 10, verse one, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. He sends them out. Prayer sends. In Luke chapter 10, the same thing, same dialogue happens. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers. And what does he do? He sends out 72 there. Fast forward to the New Testament church, Acts chapter two. The disciples are praying together. The spirit falls on them. They start preaching in different languages. Peter preaches the gospel and 3,000 people are saved because it started in an upper room. 
Acts chapter four, the disciples are threatened with persecution. They pray for boldness to preach the, uh, and the building shakes. They're filled with the spirit. They go out preaching the gospel with boldness in the face of persecution. Many more are saved. Acts chapter 10, Peter is on a rooftop and he's praying and he hears from God to go to Caesarea to preach the gospel to a Roman centurion named Cornelius, one of the first non-Jews to ever get saved. And we see in Acts 13, the church, they're gathered together, they're worshiping and they're fasting and they hear from God that Paul and Barnabas were to be set apart for missions. So they, they, they pray over them, they commission them into ministry. They prayer sends them out and they go to Cyprus and the whole pro-council in Cyprus believes. And then they go to Antioch and Paul there preaches and eventually the whole city hears the gospel and they start to spread the gospel throughout the whole region throughout that church plant in that one little city, all because they prayerfully commissioned him. In Acts 16, in prayer, Paul hears from God in a vision that he needs to go to Macedonia and there they meet Lydia who hears the gospel and believes and the church starts there and grows. I could keep going. Example after example where prayer to God, God sends in response. It keeps happening. God will answer your prayer when you ask him to send out workers into the harvest. Isn't that amazing? Like, I don't know what I have to do to convince you of how amazing this is, but, but at our prayer, like when we're on our knees and we're begging the Lord, God, would you send out workers into harvest? God creates boldness in the soul of a sister in Christ to share her faith with her brother who's skeptical of the legitimacy and of the life of Jesus. At our prayer for this, God breaks the heart of one of his saints uh, uh, for his next door neighbor who is lost and just doesn't know the gospel. At our prayer, God strengthens an indigenous pastor over in India to trek miles into the unreached villages to preach the gospel and plant churches. At our prayer, God empowers a martyr to stand before his persecutors and speak words of life and love in the gospel with a gun in his face. At our prayer, millions can be saved. So where's our urgency? Where's our desperation? Where's our persistence and determination in prayer over this? Where is it? God, would you give us a soul that begs for you to accomplish your mission in the world? The problem is I can't do that. I can't do that in you. He's got to do it. All I can do is give you little petty challenges. So here's one. I want you to live in obedience to Jesus' command here to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. Simple enough, right? Actually, I want you to do a little bit more than that. Uh, go ahead and take out your phones. I realize that, that that's probably a bit controversial for some, but go ahead and take out your phones and go to the alarms section on your phone where you set that morning alarm or you set that uh, alarm for your, your, your baking to be done, whatever it is, set your alarm and set one or two for 9.38 a.m. or and p.m. 9.38 a.m. and or 9.38 p.m. Or if you want to, you can use 10.02 because Luke 10.2, Jesus prays the same thing or tells us to pray the same thing. 
10.02 a.m., 10.02 p.m., 9.38 a.m., 9.38 p.m., whatever you wanna do. Or if you wanna do both, if you wanna be that super saying prayer man, I'd be okay with that too. But every time that alarm goes off, 9.38, I want you to stop whatever you're doing. I want you to pause. Wherever you are, even if you're at work, even if you're in the middle of class, even if you're in the middle of, of a, a meeting with a patient, I don't care. You pause, you say, hey, I need to pause real quick. They don't even have to know. But then pray to God to send out workers into his harvest and raise up laborers who will partner with the mission here at our church and here and around the world. Because I, I, I've been doing that for 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 two years now. Um, I don't have my alarm go off on Sunday morning because I don't want to interrupt this, but uh, I've been doing it for two years now. And let me just tell you some of the things that I've observed. Um, back where we lived in Beach Lake, there was a local family there, uh, kind of a local group of families that were all connected, but they, they were, there, there was like this generational lack of faith. They were kind of American, but they, they really had nothing to do with Jesus. And, and, and it was hard for me to see, and, and, and I started having my heart broken over these groups of families that all knew each other and were interconnected. And so I, I started seeing those groups of families as, as a, a harvest field in and of themselves. And, and so when I started doing this alarm thing, I started praying specifically, God, would you send out workers into that harvest field of families? Send out workers into that harvest field of families. So I, I kept that up for about a week and a half. Literally a week and a half later, a, a member of our church wanted to meet with me and she, uh, she told me that God had recently laid it on her heart to have a monthly breakfast with every single wife that just so happened to be in that group of families. To have breakfast with them so that she could talk to them about God, the gospel, and his word. Every wife that I had been praying for by name in that group of families, God sent out a worker into that harvest field. There goes one. Two weeks go by. Two weeks go by and I get another call from another member in our church. Another believer who, who said that God had been laying on his heart to start a small group in his home to talk about and study God's word and, and he was told that he needed to invite a few couples and every couple that he named were in that group of families to invite them into his home and talk to them about the gospel. I'm telling you, it literally happens. God, would you send out workers into this harvest field? Yep. I already had this in plan long before you prayed, but I'm glad you prayed. Let's go. It really does happen. God does incline his ear to our prayer for this and he delights to respond with, yes, go, I'm sending them. So my challenge would be to, to, to spend time every day praying, Lord, send out laborers into your harvest fields. Do that. Join us on Monday nights down in the living room for overflow as we gather together. There's times where we're praying for exactly this. We're praying for our mission here. We're praying for people in our community. Join us there. But most importantly, just value your own prayer life. Value it. 
That's, that's your time with the Father in his presence. And he's invited you to come. So at this time, uh, I think it would be quite foolish of me to be like, hey, here's how great vibrant prayer is. All right, goodbye. Have a great week. And then for us not to actually spend any time in vibrant prayer. Um, So so what we're gonna do now is we've we've got a few minutes left. I've never finished this early. Praise the Lord. Y'all are, everybody said, amen. Um, I, won't, I won't be insulted by that. I'm just kidding. Um, so we're gonna take some time right now to go before the Lord and we're gonna be in obedience to this command. We're gonna spend time praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into that harvest field so, so this can look very different for you. If that means you at your seat, bowing your head and closing your eyes, quietly praying, absolutely fine. If that means you're in the aisles on your face down before the Lord praying, totally fine. If you wanna come up and kneel, that's absolutely fine. If you need to go pray with someone, that's absolutely fine. But our goal right now is to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So maybe, just maybe, that means you need to spend time praying for a specific person in your family. Or maybe it's a specific person in your neighborhood. Maybe you need to be praying for a neighborhood, maybe your neighborhood, whatever it is that the Lord is burdening your heart with. Maybe it's a country that's so unreached that it's hard to get the gospel there. Maybe it's that, I don't, I don't know. Whatever the Lord is pressing in on your heart right now, we need to be in obedience to the Lord, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. So at this time, we're going to do that. And my hope would be you would engage vibrantly in this. And when I, since things are quieting down and, and we're calming together, I'll close this out in prayer. So let's, let's intercede now. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.